Second Corinthians chapter four, and uh, I like us to stay in context. So we're going to back up uh, earlier in the chapter because my plan is to start. Uh, well, I mean, we covered these verses last week, but I didn't really look at my notes last week. I just uh, kind of spoke to you all. So my plan is to look is to to focus on the notes this week, starting in Second Corinthians four thirteen. But um, I want us. Um, to be in context. So um, there is a tendency, unfortunately, um, for people to just kind of, you know, open the Bible and just point their finger somewhere and, you know, read a verse or two. The problem is you, you don't know how that fits into God's overall context. You don't know what's being said because none of these uh, books that we read in the scripture were originally divided up into verses. We do that so we can kind of find our way. There were no chapters, there were no verses. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, and we call the first of those letters 1 Corinthians, and then he wrote another letter, we call that 2 Corinthians. Now, as I've told you, from the evidence, from the statements that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians, after he left Corinth, it was an 18-month ministry that he had there, there was some trouble that happened, and he wrote them a letter. We don't have that letter. But in our first Corinthians, the letter that God has providentially preserved for us, he mentions it. So we know that first Corinthians is not the first letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. It's actually the second letter that he wrote to Corinth. So, uh, I know it sounds weird, but 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. And then he wrote another letter to Corinth that we don't have after our 1 Corinthians. That would have actually been 3 Corinthians. And then our 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter that he wrote to them. And the reason we know about these other two letters is from the two letters that God has providentially preserved for us. So um, the Apostle Paul was writing back and forth to them. He visited them uh, on several occasions to try to handle all of these challenges that were going on there. That's why I have titled our, our study in First and Second Corinthians, God's Dysfunctional People, because Corinth was a mess. They really were. And I think that the letters that we have preserved are really, really appropriate for where we are as a people today because we're a mess, aren't we? Oh, well, maybe you're not. Maybe your life is perfect and you're not a mess. But I think most of us, you know, are undergoing challenges. Um, we're in the midst of, while not an identical culture, a similar culture to Corinth where it's just a... The culture is very pagan. Um, it's, it's not oriented toward the Bible or Jesus any longer. So while I think the case can be made that our nation, as in the United States, was founded on uh, Christian principles, we're certainly far from that now. So a lot of what the Apostle Paul um, 
addresses to the Corinthians is easily applicable to us. So uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is addressing uh, the struggles that we go through, uh, the weaknesses that we have, okay? Um, He specifically focuses on himself and the other apostles who went through some pretty serious trials and um, persecution. Um, In fact, it'll be some weeks before we get there, but in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul goes into detail and he talks about all the times he was whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and all the worries that he had. So, you know, I've been talking to a number of people recently and a lot of folks are going through some pretty serious challenges in their lives, some, some very serious stress. And by the way, we were talking about, you know, uh, blood pressure being elevated and blood pressure medication. I'm telling you, stress is one of the primary reasons why our blood pressure gets elevated. Even when we think we're, you're managing everything, it's just all of this stuff coming down on top of us, right? And so there are these general stressors that everybody's been undergoing, right? Um, all of the, you know, the politics and the wrangling going on uh, between the left and the right and the, the Democrats and the Republicans. You know, if you pay attention to the news, it constantly hits you. If you're on social media, it constantly, that elevates your stress level, right? It, it makes us feel like we're fighting somebody all the time. And then the pandemic, right? Uh, You know, we dealt with that for really two years. And now, you know, they're trying to freak us out about, you know, this again. You know, well, we don't know. The infections may go up. And it's just, it can make you anxious, you know, or fearful. And then, you know, um, not last summer, but summer before last, all of the protests that just exploded nationwide. And certainly there were some precipitating factors that were there. But, uh, you know, the way this was handled by everyone, it just, you know, those were the generalized stressors. Well, then we have the collateral damage of that, right? Um, in the wake of the pandemic and, and, you know, the efforts to try to say, hey, you know, we want to, you know, we want to provide uh, some sort of stimulation for the economy. So we're just going to give everybody money. And, you know, we want to do this program and this program and this program. So we're going to spend more money. But the nation is already trillions of dollars in debt. And so we spend all of this money and we give people free money. And of course, they're going to spend that money that you give them, and that causes inflation. So now we're dealing with all of that, right? And then, you know, these are the general things that we're dealing with. Who knows what you're dealing with personally as the result of this? Um, You know, gas prices went down for a while, which was great. Um, But because uh, there is this effort to, you know, um, end fossil fuels, Uh, the current administration and, uh, you know, uh, the Democrats want to eliminate fossil fuels like that, but we can't because we're really not ready for that. So as the result, gas prices go up and up and up. We were producing enough gas to be self-sufficient under the previous uh, administration, although I'm not a a fan of that particular president. That's just the reality. 
But then they cut all of this, and now we're begging Saudi Arabia to up their, uh, their uh, export, uh, their production of fossil fuels, which is ironic, isn't it? Because we won't produce any, but we want them to do it for us. We're begging Venezuela that hates us to do the same thing. But in spite of all of that, uh, OPEC the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries has said they're going to drop the production of, uh, of uh, oil. And so that means that we're going to all be paying more at the pump again. So stress, stress, stress. So I'm not trying to, you know, to add to your stress this evening so much as to identify what we're going through, Right. And then, of course, you know, you have your personal stress, your, your personal health, your personal finances, your social situations, you know, and I could, I could, you know, give you all my sob stories right now and you could give me all of yours. Um, but I think this helps us to understand why the Lord has preserved the text that we have here. So with all of those thoughts in mind and considering, you know, what you're going through with your health and your finances and your social situation and, and our nation, the Apostle Paul uh, says, hey, we as apostles are going through even more than you folks, okay? You're going through a lot, but we're going through even more. And then he explains um, how we should look at this, okay? So while we would like to pray that the Lord will just take it all away, and give us a utopia here on earth, that's really not the way that he does things, right? He uses all of this stress and these difficulties to mold us and to shape us and to give us opportunities to trust the Lord. So with that very broad introduction, let's look at this text. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians um, chapter four, and I'm going to look at verse one. Or I'm not going to teach these verses, but again, I want to put us in context here. Um, Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. So he's alluding to these false teachers that had come into Corinth. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said let, said, let light shine out of darkness, this is like a, a, an expression of Genesis 1-1, right? Um, or 1-2. Uh, um, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, here's where we get to this um, part where we understand the, the challenges that we face in our weakened state. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, that's your physical body, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, 
but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, as in the apostles, but life is at work in you, as in the people. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. That's from Psalm 116. Since therefore we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So that's where our hope is. We're not going to build a utopia down here. You know, we can make this the best life we possibly can. Okay, your best life now. But inevitably, there are these exigencies of life that are going to press in and cause that best life that we build to crack and to, you know, cause challenges. But we have a hope of eternal life. We have a hope of a heavenly existence that is beyond this world. And that's why we can continue to say everything is going to be all right because God's going to work it out to be all right, right? Um, Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So as we get older, you feel that wasting away, don't you? Right? And, and, you know, older is not necessarily my age, and I'm, you know, that's how old I am. (laughs) I remember, I can remember when I turned 25. That's been... You know, that was a couple of years ago when I turned 25. And that was the first time I perceived that, you know, things are different. This is kind of slowing down a little bit, you know. And there are days now at my age, man, I feel great. And there are days when I'm like, I'm tired, Lord. I'm just tired. You can call me home anytime. Just don't tell me. Just don't tell me when you're going to do it. Just shut the lights off because this is, I'm just tired. You know, there's other times when I'm like, I don't feel this age. I don't know what that even means. Right. But the reality is that, you know, there's a time clock here and we're not intended to be, you know, 18 or 25 or 29 or whatever your ideal age was forever. We're just not. So, you know, we look at young people um, and, you know, they're running around and they have all this, all this energy in life, but they just, <laughs> they don't know about the train that's coming that's going to hit them. Actually, it's, it's kind of multiple trains that hit you at multiple times in life. We don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So no matter what's happening with your physical body, you can count on the fact that the Lord is going to strengthen you and renew you day by day. Now, I love this. This is verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles or affliction, some translations have it, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, as in, as the result of this truth, 
we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so that's why, even if you're in the hospital today watching this, okay, even if your health seems to be failing right now and you're listening to this, um, we can have hope because this is not all there is. In fact, what you're going through in your physical body, if you trust the Lord and pay attention to him, has the capability of shaping you and making you more like Jesus. So let's go back um, and look at, again, we covered these verses last week, but we're going to go through this quickly because I'm going to, I want to look at my notes this week because as I was reading back through them, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I, if I expressed all this to everyone. And that's why I write these things down in my notes so that when there's something that I believe the Lord's laying on my heart, I won't forget to tell you that or teach you that. So on this statement, I believe and so I spoke. That comes from Psalm 116. What do you say when you're suffering, in trouble, hurting, facing opposition, or in mourning? What do you say? See, we talk to ourselves all the time, by the way. Okay? It's called sub-vocalization. You're like, I don't talk to myself. No, you do. All the time. If we hooked something up to your, where your vocal cords right here, even when you're not saying anything, you're constantly talking to yourself. And this is how I tell people, um, the Apostle Paul said we need to pray without ceasing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing. I think it's verse 17. Well, how do you do that? You, you walk around like a monk, uh, you know. Uh, no. We think and we speak to ourselves all day, all the time. What you do is you convert that to a prayer. This is why I say, and this is my uh, kind of my uh, interpretation of a statement that Rick Warren made in uh, his book, um, The Purpose Driven Life. Warriors make great prayer warriors. When you worry, you're accomplishing nothing. Oh, woe is me. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I'm not trying to make fun of that. We don't know what to do. But if we take those worries and we turn them into prayers, you become this great prayer warrior. Every time you worry, pray, worry, pray, worry, pray. Worry about your, you know, your kids, worry about your spouse, worry about your friends, worry about your job, worry, 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 pray, 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 pray. So if you feel like you're worrying all the time throughout the day, Turn those worries into prayers. What are you talking to yourself for about all this stuff when you know you can't do anything about it? And so now we have this new medium, right? Social media. And so we convert our, our worries into posts, you know? Posting, posting, posting. And I, I see posts and people's posts are like prayers. Except none of us can answer that. None of us have the power to do anything about that. But if you turn those worries into prayers, then the Lord can and will answer. So what are you saying? I believed and so I spoke. The Apostle Paul was quoting from Psalm 116, and the intent is to prove that he speaks on the basis of faith in a good and loving God. And this good and loving God is attentive to our cry, and he'll bring about 
uh, good things in spite of and through every difficulty. He'll take us on to victory. So let's look at Psalm 116. The psalm begins with a statement of confidence in God's compassion. Psalm 116.1 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now remember, I'm quoting Psalm 116 because that's where I believed and so I spoke comes from. Those of us who come to God must not only believe that he exists, but that he hears us and he rewards those who diligently seek after him. That's Hebrews 11.6, right? So uh, there you have this idea. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The psalmist is affirming, I've prayed to God about all this mess, and I affirm God hears me. When you pray, do you believe God hears you? Not because you have a feeling about it, but because you trust that he's a good and loving God, right? And then verse, Psalm 116 verse two says, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. So we need to be persistent. Um, the psalmist affirms. So he, th this is an, uh, kind of older language. He has inclined his ear. To, what does that mean, inclined, right? This means that God has gone, okay? I'm listening, I'm inclining, I'm inclining my ear to you. Well, of course, God doesn't have a physical body and physical ears. We're, we're using these anthropomorphisms so that we can understand that God is paying attention to you. When you pray, do you believe that God is paying attention to you? Do you believe that he is listening to your prayers? If you don't, why are you praying? Well, sometimes we just pray out of desperation. We hope he's listening, right? But faith means we believe, we trust that he cares and then he's listening. Well, we need to be persistent about our prayers. Um, God is not going to put off bringing justice to your situation forever. Uh, Jesus told the parable of the importunate widow, right? The persistent widow, that's what that old word importunate means, in uh, Luke chapter 18. And um, in Luke 18, 1 through 8, he talks about a widow who would have had no power and no ability to make money in Jesus' day. And she's coming to this judge and she's pleading her case. Well, he's an unrighteous judge. He's an unjust judge. He's not a good judge. But the judge says, you know what? This widow is wearing me out. She won't leave me alone. She just keeps coming into my courtroom day in and day. I'm just going to give her what she asked for because she's making me tired. And then Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So God is just. But you know, some of us have suspicious hearts, don't we? God is called Father, and not all of us have had good fathers. Some of us have had absent fathers. Some of us have had abusive fathers. Some of us have had laissez-faire fathers. They're just, they're there, but they're really not there. They don't really care, okay? And we have a tendency to let our fathers be our models for God. No, 
God needs to be the model for fatherhood, not the other way around. But there's a natural tendency to follow that pattern. My dad was never there for me, so God must not be there. He's not listening to me. He's absent, right? Somebody could be tempted to or uh, choose to be an atheist as the result of that because they're making that, uh, that comparison. But the reality is Jesus is saying, you know what? You may have that attitude toward God. But God is good and God is just. So wear him out. What are you going through right now? What are you dealing with right now? Every time it comes to mind, warriors make great prayer warriors. Every time it comes to mind, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Wear God out. It's like that bumper sticker I saw in the church van years ago. Uh, It said push. P-U-S-H pray until something happens don't stop praying so in um matthew 7 7 through 11 and in luke 11 9 through 13 um jesus says ask and you will receive remember this seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened we have an upstairs up there and there's a stairwell that goes down behind us that's why that's what you're hearing right there and uh there was a meeting up there with a uh, a group in the other building so but it's the same stairwell that accesses their building that's why you're hearing that craziness um but interestingly in the greek language these are present participles and you say what okay look i'm not in english grammar anymore pastor What it means is, and some translations will uh, bring this out, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. There it is. Push, pray until something happens. Don't give up, right? Keep pressing in and the Lord is gonna answer. You see, we might think that the issue is with God not caring or not paying attention. But the issue is not with God's goodness. It's with human faith in that goodness. God is not evil. He's not harsh. He's not cruel. He's not capricious. God is not neglectful. He's not apathetic. He's not absent. But the world has fallen. God will still respond to any who will seek him and call out to him. Um, Jeremiah 29, 13 and 33, 3. Um, um, seek him and he will answer you when you seek him with all of your heart. Seek him and you will, he will answer you when you seek him with all of your heart. If you're seeking, it's just kind of like, yeah, God, are you there? Okay, I didn't think so. Then of course he's not going to answer. Okay? But God rewards those who diligently seek after him. So be diligent. God is all-powerful, God is just, God is good, God is love. Our faith in this good, just, and loving God must remain firm even in the face of confounding variables. And there are confounding variables. You know, I don't know what you're going through right now. Uh, You may be dealing with some, uh, you know, insurmountable tragedies. Uh, But, you know, God is God and he's above all of this. God wants you to be honest about your struggle. Don't gloss over it with Pollyanna positive thinking. Oh, it'll all work out. Yeah, but that doesn't work unless you've entrusted yourself to the God who will make it work out for good. 
God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. That's how uh, the New American Standard Bible translates it. So it will work out if you love God and you are pursuing his purpose for you, but it's not gonna naturally work out for the good. Tell the Lord how you really feel and what is going on. He knows you're not informing him. Oh, really? Gosh, I didn't know that. This is the all-knowing God, but he wants to hear it from you. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to commune with him, communicate with him. Now, believe in God's goodness, his love, and his power, and have faith that he will deliver you. Be confident of this fact. Now, um, I looked at Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, from where this phrase I believed and therefore I spoke came from. Now we're going to skip down to verse 8, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 13 of Psalm 116. The psalmist affirms, and this is like a prayer. The psalms, most of them are like prayers, right? They're, they're songs, but they're like prayers. So the psalmist is talking to God, and he says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now, here's the phrase that the Apostle Paul quotes. This is verse 10 of Psalm 116. I believed even when I spoke. Now, listen to what he said. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. You know, actually, that noise might be our youth. <laughs> I was thinking it was this other meeting, but this is likely our youth who are right over my head right now. And they're very noisy, by the way. It's probably Harry. He's not a youth anymore, but he's up there working with them probably. All right. So I believe this is what the essence of what it means to live by faith to have a continuing confidence that there is a good almighty God and Father who loves me and who is going to work everything out for my good and his glory. This, and I, I, you know, I'm reading this from my notes, but this is me saying this, okay? This is my rubric for interpreting every circumstance in life and evaluating every statement that purports to be factual. God is great. Say that. God is good. Do you remember that? Did you learn that prayer when you were a kid? God is great. God is good. Now I thank him for, you know, for my food. Amen. But God is great. And God, that's a fundamental affirmation that we need to continually make, right? So the psalmist says, I believed even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. When you're going through it, tell God. Yes, he knows, but he wants to hear from you and then trust God. Okay. Um, so God loves me and everything is working together for my good because I love him and I'm pursuing his call for my life, which is to become like Jesus. That's the call. When Romans 8, 28 says, um, all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. It's not talking about your particular call to be a whatever, a father or a counselor or whatever. The call is to become more like Jesus. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? It's the very next verse, all right? Um, all things work together for the good of those that are called, uh, who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For, connector, 
for those he foreknew, because those he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To heaven? No, to be conformed to the image of his son, which is in preparation for heaven. You see what the purpose is? The purpose is to prepare you for heaven, to prepare you to be a child of God, to prepare you to be more like Jesus. So there's nothing more important that God is trying to reinforce with me personally right now, and I hope you will take this on for yourself. Um, I hope you can grasp the far-reaching significance of this way of thinking for your own life and to help resolve the problem of evil in the world. So, no, this is a fallen world. This is what I tell me. The simple answer to why all this monkey muck is going on in our world is, this ain't heaven. This ain't heaven. And you're not going to make this a heaven. Okay? Is there global warming and climate change and, you know, cataclysmic? Sure, fine. Yes. Uh, should we make our world better? Sure. Yes, Sure. But are we going to be able to make this some sort of a utopia? No, never. You're not. We need to stop investing our hope in the here and now and realize that there is a hereafter that is far more important. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you, he says to the Corinthians, into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Again, I'm going to read from my notes, and that's just so that I don't miss anything and I am more concise. So there it is. What we look forward to. What do you look forward to? You know, uh, a happy retirement, a big 401k, a raise, what? Okay. We need to look forward to eternal life. We need to look forward to a resurrected heaven. For a lot of people, this idea of heaven is kind of like, you know, floating around as some sort of a, a ghost or an angel and playing harps and all that. In the no, no, it's nonsense. You are going to be raised. Think about the best you ever felt in your life. Think about the best you ever looked in your life. Now, put an exponent on that. Okay, you'll look better, you'll feel better, you'll be better because you'll be in a resurrected body. Whatever, whatever your deficits are, right? Whatever your, your scars and difficulties and handicaps are, they'll be erased, they'll be gone. You will have a resurrected body. Jesus was physically resurrected. Now, this is a spiritual, physical, right? This is a body that was capable of suddenly appearing in a room and then, you know, disapparating, if you will, all right? So this is not, when I, when I say physical, it is not identical to the body that you have now, but we will recognize one another and we will have a body. Jesus could eat. In his resurrected body, he appeared with them and they were scared. They thought he was a ghost. He said, no, I'm not a ghost. Do you have anything to eat? And he ate. That's awesome. Okay, I don't think we're going to need food, but it's kind of cool that we can eat if we want to, right? That's, that's cool, right? On the second Sunday after Jesus' resurrection, Thomas had not been there the first Sunday, so-called Doubting Thomas, and he said, yeah, I don't believe you. I don't believe you guys. Unless I see him for myself, 
and put my fingers in the wounds in his hands where the nails were and put my my hand up in his side where the spear pierced him, I will not believe. Well, to his credit, Thomas allayed his doubts and was with the apostles the next Sunday, and Jesus appeared again. And Jesus walked up to Thomas and said, here's my hand. Put your finger there, Thomas. Lifted up his garment and said, here's my side. Put your hand there. Thomas worshiped and made the greatest confession of faith that anybody ever made on earth. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus, you would think Jesus, you know, would commend him. Oh, Thomas, I'm so glad that you believe now. Jesus said, oh, really? Because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you. But my point is, Jesus had a literal, palpable, touchable body. And so will you. That is a hope worth hanging on to, friends. It really, really is. Okay? And the reality that, and this is why we, we, you know, we use the term witness, right? We share our faith with other people because we want other people to be in the presence of God with us in the same regard as the Apostle Paul said here, right? Uh, Jesus will raise us also and bring us with you into his presence. Friend, the only thing you're going to bring with you to heaven is people that you've shared the gospel with who have chosen to put their faith in Jesus. What's your most valuable possession? Earthly possession. Is it your car? You have a Rolex watch? You have a gold coin? What's your most valuable earthly? You ain't taking it with you. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a trailer? No. You got those, you got those, those pyramids in Egypt and those pharaohs had this erroneous belief that you know, um, they could conscript literally thousands of slaves to build this tomb and then bring all of this amazing gold and, and, and you know, these, these artifacts that were going to go with them to the afterlife. Yeah, eh, not so much. Their bodies are still moldering in those tombs in spite of the fact that the Egyptians had the best uh, ability to embalm of anybody. It's still bones, and all of this gold and all this stuff, and it didn't go anywhere. No, you're not taking anything with you except your friends and relatives and coworkers and the people that you are able to share the gospel with who choose to believe. The Apostle Paul said, grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So right now, we extend the grace of God. We extend that grace that God has given each of us to others. This is that sharing of the gospel who've yet to believe and receive it. That's our mission. Now, when you share your faith with somebody and you share the gospel with somebody, their response is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just to share. And if they get cold and they turn away and they're argumentative, you don't have to win a fight. Okay? If you're right with Jesus, you're right. Even if you don't know how to completely explain it or express it, and you don't have to have them agree with you. If they're disagreeable, 
If they don't believe, friend, that's on them. Your only responsibility is to share your faith. Don't hide it, right? Don't hide that light under a bushel. Remember that song from Sunday school when you were little? Right? Don't hide that light under a basket. Shine the light. And some people are going to go, oh, that's too bright. You're offending me. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm not going to put my light out for you either. And that's what I see people doing today. I see Christians putting their light out because they're too interested in pleasing people. They're like the, you know, uh, Saul, not Saul who became Paul the Apostle who wrote this letter, but Saul, the first king of Israel that I preached on last Sunday, he wanted to please the people. Well, you know, the, the people wanted me to take the spoil that God said not to take. And so I did it because they said to. And then I, I barely mentioned this in the sermon, but Samuel just, you know, he washed his hands of Saul at that point. He's like, you didn't do what the Lord wanted you to do. You've turned back from following the Lord. Um, the Lord's going to take the kingdom out of your hand. And S Samuel, the prophet, turned to walk away. And Saul grabbed his garment and pulled him and pulled him hard enough to tear it. And Samuel said, so the kingdom will be torn from you. But Saul didn't give up. He said, please come and honor me before the people. He was so interested in the opinion of the, this is this is the fruit of social media, y'all. We want this. We want more of these. We want more subscribers. We want more followers. We want more likes. We're people pleasers. We're inveterate people pleasers. What we need to be concerned about is pleasing the Lord. So shine your light. Share the gospel. Be salt in the world. Some people are just not going to like it. Some people are going to be offended. But you know what? Some people are going to go to heaven because of it. Their response is not your responsibility. Your only responsibility is to shine the light and share the gospel. Okay? Verse 16 uh, through 18. This is the ESV. When I was reading earlier, I was reading from the New International Version. It kind of flows better. ESV is a little more literal. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self, our outward man, the literal text says, is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like the outward person, right, is wasting away? Listen, I work out every day except Sunday. And I know I'm fat and I don't look like it, but I do. <laughs> I try. I'm trying. And my body is not cooperating. It does not love me anymore. When I was younger, if I worked out this hard, I, you know, I'd be super skinny and it's just, I'm just, I'm trying, right? But like it or not, it gets harder and harder and harder to do what I do. Like I get this persistent, pernicious, it's called tennis elbow. It's tendonitis right here. And it's not from playing tennis or racquetball, okay? It's just from gripping. And right now this hurts so much that when I lift a 45-pound plate to the height of my shoulders, 
It doesn't feel heavy, but I almost drop it because this hurts so much. It's just stupid, right? So I used to love to do what are called incline presses, right? So it's like a bench press, but it's, you know, your, your, your back is on an incline. And I broke my clavicle. You can still see this because I've never been able to afford to go and get it fixed. So what happened is it's, it's your, your clavicle, right, is butted up against uh, the, uh, the sternum right here. And what happened is when I dropped, I didn't drop it, when I lowered the weight all the way down, I heard it pop. I heard it. And so now I can't do those anymore. I'm just giving you why, 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 and just showing you, even when you try to be healthy, you try to be fit, you try to do all these things, the outward man is wasting away, right? I have a profound hearing loss in my right ear, and that is compounded with tinnitus. So my, I'm going to talk a little quieter. My ear right now is ringing as loud as I'm talking to you. And that is all day, every day. The outward man is wasting away. Take care of yourself. Take care of your health. You should. You really need to. Okay? But realize this was not intended to last forever. It's going to wear out. But the inward self can develop as the result of that. And can improve and increase and be strengthened, right? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. That is why we don't lose heart, okay? Uh, Dr. David Garland in his commentary says, the battering Paul has taken in the service of Christ has left him the worst for wear and makes him a shamed figure in the eyes of the world. His deteriorating physical condition and shameful plight caused some in Corinth who took account of such things to wonder out loud about his power as an apostle. They may have assumed that God would do a better job of safeguarding and bringing honor to an unauthorized messenger of the gospel. Some in the ancient world interpreted affliction as a sign of God's judgment and something dishonorable. That you can see in John chapter 9 with the man born blind. They all assumed he'd, his parents had sinned, and as the result, he was born blind. And Jesus contradicted that. The Corinthians need to understand that the Christian's inner life is constantly being transformed into glory, even as its earthly embodiment decays and dies. Listen, be healthy, control your blood pressure, do all those good things. But don't be discouraged because you have health struggles. This isn't the end game, guys. It's not. The constant internal renewal by the Holy Spirit is why we don't lose heart, no matter how difficult life gets. Paul speaks of the opposite <clears throat> uh, of the famous Oscar Wilde novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Are you familiar with this novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray? Um, Dr. David Garland cites the... Uh, the novel in uh, his commentary. And this is a quote from the picture of, if you remember the picture of Dorian Gray, there was a painting that as Dorian Gray grew older, became more decrepit. But Dorian Gray himself maintained his youthfulness, his youthful appearance. Here's the quote. How sad, I shall grow old and horrible. But this picture, he's talking about a painting of himself, never will be older. 
if it were I who was to be always young and the picture that was to grow old, I would give my soul for that. He got his wish. The portrait became a mirror of his soul, which showed every sign of evil and aging. So you see, the portrait of Dorian Gray was like his inner man. So his outward man was being renewed day by day and everybody around him marveled, but his inward man was decaying. Hey, listen, it's the opposite for you and I. The outward physical person decays, but your inward person can become more and more like Christ can shine brighter and brighter, can become stronger and stronger, can become more and more beautiful. Sadly, though, many of us today feel exactly like Dorian Gray in this quote. If only the outward person would remain beautiful, strong, youthful, but who cares about the inward person? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if any of you ever watched Saturday Night Live back in the 70s, but uh, Billy Crystal played uh, Fernando, uh, a character that spoke like Fernando Lamas, all right? And uh, he had this quote, and he said that the quote was, it's better to look good than to feel good. <laughs> That's how a lot of people are, right? Would you rather look good or would you rather feel good, you know? So, you know, hey, well, I look terrible, but I feel great. Well, we all want to look marvelous, right? Um, all right, I'm going to move on. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So uh, I have been working on a book about um, why bad things happen in the world and why bad things even happen to good people. And this is one of the um, central verses in that book. This light and momentary affliction, your blood pressure struggles, your, your physical handicaps, your, uh, you know, your financial struggles, it's light, it's momentary. You say, well, it doesn't feel light, it feels pretty heavy. But compare that to eternity, right? It's preparing, notice, he, says, he doesn't just say it's happening, and someday you'll be in heaven. He says, no, it is actually accomplishing something. What you're going through is accomplishing something. If it brings about faith in you, right? So in other words, one day, it'll all be worth it. Even more, what believers go through now is making us more like Jesus and preparing us to live with God in heaven. Additionally, rewards are given to those who overcome in this life. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. Those who walk in faith have this hope. And that is why we are enabled to get through the hard times. The Bible teaches about crowns. These are, these are the rewards, right? Uh, crowns that the Lord will bestow upon those who overcome uh, in glory. The Greek word that is used for crown means a crown of reward like an Olympic athlete would have received in this day. He would have received a laurel, uh, laurel leaves, a laurel crown that represented his reward. There are three crowns referred to, and I'm going to conclude with this. There is the crown of life. 
In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then there's the crown of righteousness that is spoken of by the Apostle Paul uh, in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. I said, I don't know what I just said. It's the crown of righteousness. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but those who have loved his, all those who have loved his appearing. So there's the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, and then there's the crown of glory. Uh, <clears throat> Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those under your charge, but being examples to the flock. So he's talking to people like me. And then he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, so a pastor is a shepherd. We're not the chief shepherds. We're under shepherds. We're just passing along what the Lord says and does. When the, she, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What are we going to do with those crowns if we receive a crown like this as a reward in heaven? Well, it is what we will be enabled to cast before the feet of the Savior. Listen to what it says uh, in Revelation. This is what the 24, elder, the 24 elders do. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That's Revelation 4, 10 and 11. So you see, that's the glory that we will receive and we simply reflect that back to the Lord who gave it to us. So I hope that you are looking at your life differently, that you're not just looking at your shoes looking at your situation down in the mouth and saying, you know what, this is just, this is bad, this is terrible. I was talking to someone recently and I said, you know, the last, the last three years have been very, very difficult for me personally. Now, I'm not alone. That's why I mentioned all that junk at the beginning, okay? Because I think a lot of us have really been through it over the last several years. But realize your opportunity is always to put your trust in the Lord and to let him shape you and mold you and make you to be more like his son. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you.